Psalm 119, now starting at verse 49. The section centered around the letter in the Hebrew alphabet, Zion. Verse 49. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction. Now when he says, remember the word to your servant, the psalmist knew very well that God could never forget his word. It's not as if God said something and then forgot he said it. But speaking after the manner of men, this was a plea for God to fulfill the promises that he has stated in his word. And friends, I tell you this evening that God wants us to pray this way. God wants us to pray as if, and I think you'll understand what I mean when I say this, God wants us to pray as if he was forgetful. As if we could stand before God and say, God, remember what you wrote here now, God. Remember, you say it in your own word. God delights when his children bring his promises back to him in prayer. And if there's any one key that I know for effective prayer... It's to pray the promises of God back to him. Do you feel like you're familiar with the promises of God? Do you feel like you could know that if there's a situation or a need for prayer that comes up for this or that or the other thing, that there's some promise that your mind would cling to from the word of God and say, well, I think we should have confidence that God would answer this prayer because he has promised thus and so. It's a beautiful thing to come to God in this way and to plead his word back to him. Now, Charles Spurgeon said that he used to carry with him a little book of God's promises. He said that its title was Clark's Precious Promises. And he turned to these promises to help him at needful times. And then he said this, but God, let us speak with reverence, When he gives a promise, he binds himself with cords of his own making. He binds himself down to such and such course when he says that such and such a thing shall be. Hence, when you grasp the promise, you get a hold on God. And so he says, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. Again, the psalmist understood that his trust and his hope in God's word should not be credited to his own spiritual greatness or genius. It came because God moved upon him to hope in his word. And can I tell you this evening, God's word is worthy of your hope. It's worthy of your trust. It's worthy of your great expectation. Listen, you know that great illustration that's used in the book of Isaiah, right? Where it says in chapter 55 that as just as the rain comes down from heaven, so God's word will go and accomplish the purpose that he has for it, that it will not return to him void. Well, I I want you to go find, the next time you find it raining in reverse... The next time you find the water going up to heaven in droplets, and don't give me that stuff about dew and condensation and all of that. I want to see big fat drops of water going back up to heaven. No, this is our assurance. Just as much as water comes down from heaven and gloriously reigns over the earth, the same way God will be faithful to his word. And therefore he says in verse 50, this is my comfort and my affliction for your word has given me life. 
When he remembered how faithfully and how powerfully God's word had brought him life in the past, then he found comfort in his present affliction. You see, right now he's going through it. It's a season of affliction. It's a season of trouble for the psalmist. But he says, when I remember, when I remember the life that your word has given me, then it gives me hope and comfort in the midst of my affliction. You see, in the midst of his affliction, it's his comfort. I love this. He says, this is my comfort in my affliction. God has an affliction suited to the individual, but he also has a comfort suited to the individual. It's my affliction and my comfort. Well, what is your comfort? Again, I'll quote Spurgeon because he put it very powerfully here. He says, the worldling clutches his money bag and says, this is my comfort. The spendthrift points to his gaiety and shouts, this is my comfort. The drunkard lifts his glass and sings, this is my comfort. But the man whose hope comes from God feels the life-giving power of the word of the Lord, and he testifies, this is my comfort. What is it, friends? What is it that's the comfort in your life? Is it going out and running out, buying something new, and that's your comfort? Is it some new entertainment? Is it some way to impair your senses and intoxicate or inebriate yourself? Is it some way to distract yourself or amuse yourself? That is your comfort. Those are all low, weak comforts. The greatest comfort comes in the midst of our affliction. It comes to us from God's word because indeed, as he says in verse 50, your word has given me life. Now, everybody should remember this, but especially preachers, that it's the word of God that gives life. The preacher doesn't give life to the word of God. The word of God gives life to the preacher. I can testify to this. It's not the word of God that's dead. It's the preacher who's dead. And he needs the life-giving power of God's word within him. Verse 51. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. You see, in this section and in the previous section as well, the idea is that the psalmist was mocked and he was reproached for his love and his trust in God's word. And these proud mockers looked at the psalmist and his dedication to the word of God and they held him in great derision. They had a mighty fine laugh at the expense of the psalmist. Oh, what a foolish country rube. He believes in the word of God. What a strange thing. We've advanced so far beyond all of that. And so has it ever been those who love and trust God's word, especially those who love and trust God's word with the depth and the passion that's reflected by the psalmist in this mighty psalm. These are the ones who are mocked by the mighty ones of this world, the proud of this world, who will have nothing to do with God and his word. Nevertheless, look at his determination, verse 51. He says, yet I do not turn aside from your law. We almost sense a note of defiance in the psalmist, don't we? No matter how great the derision is that you hold me, you mock me for believing in God's word, then I'm going to hold to it all the more tightly. He's going to hold faithful to God and his word. Great harm has been done 
to the cause of God when believers find themselves unable to endure the great derision and they begin to downgrade their view of God's word and its inerrant character. Maybe they're hoping to appease or to impress the proud. And so they lead themselves and others to trust God and his word less. And such ones should find their strength and their comfort in these very passages that declare, yet I do not turn aside from your law. Matter of fact, he goes on into verse 52. He says, I've remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself when he was challenged to lessen his confidence and his trust in God's word by these proud mockers, the psalmist wisely responded by increasing his confidence. I've comforted myself. That's how he found it. The proud who therefore hold the simple believer in such great derision, they they enjoy the honor, they enjoy the applause of some people in this world, but they can never know the comfort that the psalmist knows right here. And he found specific comfort in remembering the judgments of God of old. So he says, listen, Lord, I know you know how to judge the ungodly. You know how to judge the proud. You'll do it in this situation as well. And so now he goes on in verse 53. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has become mine because I keep your precepts. First in verse 53, he speaks of how indignation has taken hold of him. When the psalmist thought of the wicked, here probably the proud and other peoples who held him and others who trusted in God's word in such derision. It made him indignant. He recognized the greatness of their sin. These men are forsaking the law of God. And those who deny or depreciate the word of God, they do just this. They forsake the word of God. Worse yet, they often lead others to do exactly the same. And Jesus described the penalty for those who lead others astray, did he not? He said, you lead one of these little ones astray and it would be better for you if a millstone was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the depths of the sea. Now, if that's the better choice for you than the judgment for those who lead others astray, it's very harsh. Instead, he says in verse 54, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Your word, it fills me with joy. It fills me with confidence. I sing your word. Listen, those people who know the power of singing God's word have great comfort in the house of his pilgrimage. Isn't it beautiful how Paul and Silas could sing in the midst of suffering? So could the psalmist. He was going through affliction. He was being mocked and he was held in great derision. Nevertheless, he could sing unto God. He was a pilgrim. He was not yet home and he was afflicted, but he could sing to his God. And in the midst of it all, he says in verse 55, I remember your name in the night, O Lord. I think that the night that he spoke of was probably true, both literally and poetically. I mean, in the dark of the night, when fears and anxieties often rush in upon us, the psalmist found comfort in the name of the Lord revealed to him by God's word. Yet this comfort was also real in the figurative or the poetic night that believers may face. You see, notice the words following this, right? I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. 
That, that remember, reminds us that the remembrance of God in the night makes for an obedient life in the daytime. That's how we should live. Remembering God in the night and then we'll walk right with him in the day. And then I love verse 56. I love the, the triumphant statement of it. Do you see what he says? This has become mine. This glorious, triumphant statement from the power of the psalmist, it reflects the power and the goodness and the comfort of God's word, that, that they weren't only ideas and theories to him. No, by faith, the faith that comes from God's word, he can rightly say, this has become mine. Lord, you're real to me through your word, your, your comfort, your strength, your power, your glory. It is communicated to me through your very word. But again, it's not far from obedience because we see what he says in verse 56, because I kept your precepts. The psalmist enjoys this triumph, not only because he knows the word of God, but also because he obeys the word of God. You see, this is a trap that some people fall into. They, they want to know God, and so they want to know something of his word, but they only know his word in theory. So again, they could quote to you a verse that talks about putting their trust in the Lord, but they don't put their trust in the Lord. No, when you obey what the word of God tells you to do, then you come to that real place of triumph. And please remember, it isn't as if the psalmist claimed perfect obedience. No, over and over again in this psalm, he's crying out for mercy. He's crying out for grace. But he's claiming a life lived in general faithfulness to the word of God. It's wonderful what he says here. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. Friend, I wonder about your life and my life. I wonder what new area of blessing, what new area of strength and comfort and blessing would be in our life if we could just say, this will be mine because God, I'm going to obey your word in this area. I don't know where that touches your particular life, but I'd like you to consider it very carefully. I'd like you to consider that right now, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about an area of your obedience. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking so to your heart, I don't even want you to think about your neighbor sitting next to you, your husband, your wife, your friend, whatever. Don't even think about them. Don't even think of how about the Holy Spirit could be dealing with them. Well, so Lord, you don't want me to do that anymore? Well, you don't seem to mind it when so-and-so does it. No, no, no. You let the Holy Spirit deal with you. And as he speaks to you, as he instructs you in his word, allow him the liberty to put his finger on something in your life by his word and say, I want you to obey my precepts. And then you'll be able to be in the same place where you can say with the psalmist with such triumph, this has become mine because I kept your precepts. Friends, God has such riches goodness and grace and compassion to pour upon us. I wonder how often we don't enjoy it because there's some place of disobedience in our life where the Holy Spirit's speaking to us, but, but we resist the testament of the Holy Spirit. We say, no, Lord, I'm going to do it my own way instead of yielding to what God is speaking of. And please, I'll say it again. I said it before, but just so nobody misunderstands. I'm not suggesting for a moment that we come to some place of sinless perfection and some sinless people can be specially blessed. No, 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 no. When the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in your life and tells you to get it right with him, you will get it right with him and you will do it. And then there'll be something else for him to work on. That's okay. 
We'll continue down that road until we're resurrected with him in glory. But that's fine. It won't take away the triumph that we'll know when we can say, this has become mine because I kept your precepts. Bless us with that, Lord. Bless us with your goodness, <laughs> with your triumph, Lord, so that even if others would hold us in derision, that we're not afraid of the proud of this world. We're not afraid of those who mock and reject your word. No, Lord, we know the blessing that comes from obedience, and we cry out and say, this has become mine. Do it, Lord, in us, for Jesus' sake. Amen.